Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert Don Pizzette, DevOps engineer Justin Dennison, security specialist Daniel Lowry, and Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, joined as always by Don Pizzette, appropriately. I should say, as always, because you weren't here last week. But yeah, I was yeah. like, as always, except those times where he's not. Yeah, did you watch last week, Don? Like always, except when I have something better to do. Did, did you see <laughs> how much we talked about you last week? Uh, no, you know, I haven't seen last week's episode. Then we didn't talk about you at all. It was nope. great. It's not even worth watching. I, would, yeah, I wouldn't check it out. I think it's been erased. The amount of hate mail I get has gone up significantly. Huh. Well, I'm sure they're unrelated. <laughs> and uh, that was Justin you heard there. Justin, how are you? I'm doing well. Yourself? I am great, thank you. And Daniel Lowry up in the corner, how are you? I'm uh, not unwell, as always. Not unwell. Okay, that's good. Okay, I did, yeah, think for a second there. Double negatives. Double negatives are fun. Yeah, takes a second. Um, and we are joined today by not one, but two guests uh, from the same company. We have uh, John and Johnny, which is going to be super confusing. So let's start with John. John, how are you? I'm doing well, sir. Thank you for having us. Yeah, and John is, of course, with Vartai Security. We met you guys down at uh, B-Sides in Tampa, which, uh, Daniel, you were at with, what, was it Adam? Yeah, Adam and I went down to B-Sides um, right before the whole COVID thing started, and uh, John and John put on a, a great demonstration. It was a lot of fun. They were super cool guys, so I'm glad to have them on the podcast. Yeah, so John is a managing uh, principal and founder, and we're also joined by uh, Johnny McClough, who is the director of Threat Research. How are you doing, Johnny? Hey, guys. Doing great. Thank you guys for having us here. Are you guys both in, in Tampa? Uh, no, I'm in Tampa, and John is in uh, D.C. John's in D.C., okay, because I did see you had both locations so very cool all right well let's get to know a little bit more about you guys and a little bit uh more about vartai in our first segment rapid fire questions who do you work for what's new who are you what's happening what's wrong with you all right so we've extended this segment a little bit even though the counter is, is counting down from five uh just wanted to let you know you have about a minute 45 seconds if you go over time then peter's going to buzz you and we're going to move on and Peter's going to take our first question. Yeah, so uh, we're kind of doing a, a little bit this month. We're talking about how people got started in IT. So, um, John, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got uh, from, you know, just a, a young boy seeing his first computer to where you are today? Yeah, um, well, I, I think it all starts way back. Uh, I received a 486 Intel back when I, I think was like seven years old. Uh, and from there, I really was part of the, I, I think, a a growth movement up into the computer space from a very young age, you know, building them uh, all the way up through college. Uh, and uh, I graduated uh, Virginia Tech with a business information technology degree uh, that wasn't necessarily related uh, to cybersecurity at all. Um, but for the better part of my career afterwards, uh, it kind of just was naturally synchronous with what uh, I needed to have in order to be a cybersecurity professional. So um, after uh, Virginia Tech and, and college, I went up to Washington, D.C., which where I am today, uh, and I joined PricewaterhouseCoopers, who was just starting off in the cybersecurity space. And uh, from there, it really was kind of uh, the end of my road in, in terms of finding what I wanted to do for, for the rest of my life. Um, you know, cybersecurity is very dynamic, um, and there's a range of different things that you can get into in terms of uh, how you want to center yourself, uh, whether it's specialized or be kind of a more generalist. Um, <clears throat> 
helping out uh, PwC originally. I was more of a generalist in the sense of uh, not only doing penetration testing and, and the technical stuff, but also uh, the enterprise security strategy and compliance uh, for the federal government <clears throat> and doing things uh, that, you know, can't talk about necessarily, obviously, for the federal <laughs> government space, but um, also eventually leading into um, finding my own firm and, and leaving PwC and, and starting out and trying to be more specialized and be more um, serving to the commercial space and various other customers I wasn't necessarily able to, to serve at, at Pricewaterhouse when I was there. Um, so that kind of came full circle uh, back in 2019 when we started Vartai Security. Um, me, Ben, and our other partner, Align, have kind of worked in this space from 15 to 20 years each. And uh, we kind of wanted to just play our own uh, game and make sure that we uh, serve the clients that we knew of that would come to come back to us. Um, and, and in the way that we wanted to uh, be able to deliver the range of products and suites and services that we uh, thought that people really needed without uh, really having a lot of the um, overhead of a, of a large firm that usually comes uh, with that type of entity. So uh, that's kind of me in, in, in a nutshell uh, from, from cybersecurity to uh, blockchain, I'm very much into blockchain as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of uh, have hit all the major tenants of, of doing um, IT in general, um, so. So Johnny, how about you? Uh, so for me, the story is pretty long. Uh, I started uh, very young. Uh, I was very young uh, and my brother introduced me to the first computer and I was instantly hooked into it because I didn't really know what it is. I mean, I'm not that old, I'm 28, but it was still a new thing. Uh, and I wanted to explore it more further. So uh, from that moment, I basically started disassembling every computer I got. Uh, to a point that I want to know exactly how it works. Um, the thing with me is I was also a very active guy, so I wasn't only just at home uh, playing my computer. I also like to be uh, outside, so I had a nice balance with it. Um, but approximately at the age of 11, I started learning how to code. Uh, and I saw it something like that I really liked, because it also helped me uh, learn how to act things. Uh, I did it up to the age of 17, uh, as far as I recall. At 17, I had to uh, take a break and prepare for my uh, for enlisting. Uh, so then I enlisted to the army at the age of 18. I'm originally from Israel, by the way. Uh, and in that three years period, I kind of uh, put it aside and focused on the army, uh, which I did something a little bit different, but still in uh, intelligence. Um, after the army, I sat with myself and decided, okay, I'm pretty good at what I did before. Uh, I'm pretty good at computers. I know how they work. I know how to code. Uh, I kind of want to follow this path. Um, so after the army, I decided to take a role as security researcher. I worked for various big companies uh, like Checkpoints. I used to be their head of uh, security. Um, I worked for PwC as well, uh, just different branch. And I eventually ended up taking uh, various red team roles uh, in different uh, small companies, not necessarily big. Uh, very satisfied that I did it because it gave me the knowledge of being both a security researcher and a red teamer. And today I'm part of uh, Varda Security as a director of threat research, where I mainly uh, take care of the red team operations and also manage the uh, research part of it. So, John, you, you said, you know, you have this nice little background there, but you recently co-founded, uh, well, I say recently, 
I guess that's a relative term, Vartai security. But was there any one thing that you were like, man, I really want to address that, that you saw a hole in the market that, that Vartai was originally started to address? Yeah, I think, you know, and I think anybody who's um, maybe inside of the space or has worked as a security engineer or a threat researcher in various um, different um, capabilities in, in larger firms finds that you kind of are um, locked into a box for uh, what they want you to do. You might not be able to do certain things uh, the way that you think that they should be done or, or, or that kind of old ball and chain. And that's half the reason why I decided to kind of go out and start my, my first company back in 2013, which was a lot like Vartai, but it mainly, and it currently serves as its sister company um, serving the federal government side uh, where Vartai is more focused on the commercial side. Um, but I think that uh, more than anything, uh, what I found with working with clients from all industry sectors and, and, and different sizes is that um, it's really about having a good relationship with people and being able to have them understand what they need to do from the ground up. Solid fundamentals always equals great security. Um, and I, we, I just always felt like um, I had more freedom to kind of get in there and deliver the, the right services and talk to the right people from a really ground grassroots perspective, um, the way that I knew how to do it, uh, as opposed to inside the frame of uh, maybe cost margins that are prohibitive or uh, something that wasn't able to kind of be delivered from the operation side of a lot of different various companies that needed some help. Um, there's a lot of, in my opinion, there's a lot of services out there that, you know, don't really hit the, the mark in terms of like what they actually deliver for real tangible security. And I think that our time, it was really founded just to give us an avenue to speak to the clients that we know want to work with us and want to do good security from the ground up. Um, and that's what we choose to focus on. So a lot of our work today is really um, centered on people who build not only robust security programs that are compliant in various frameworks um, and, and for various countries and, and municipalities around the world, um, but also uh, they seek to want to do the more advanced type of work that uh, we like to do too. So these, as Johnny said, kind of advanced red teaming, uh, different scenario-based testing that usually doesn't get caught up in the general space uh, that you would be sucked into for doing uh, compliance assessments or, or just assessments generally that, that get uh, kind of funneled into a larger organization that has to uh, focus on bottom line. You know, we, we like our clients and we, we like to work with them and from a long term perspective to give them what they need. And hopefully they see us as a trusted advisor to handhold them through uh, them building up their maturity to be able to withstand uh, a lot of the, the dynamic threats that are out there today, which change every day. So Johnny, I, I had a question for you, which is uh, your title, uh, Director of Threat Research. You know, we, we hear terms like uh, security researcher thrown around a lot. You mentioned that you handle the red team operations and research. What, what does that entail? Like, how, how do you how do you go about doing research? I, I mean, I understand the red team operations. You, know, you schedule things with a client and, and you go and, and help them out. Uh, but on the research side, how do, you, how do you even know what to study or look at or, or so on? Yeah, so uh, as part as uh, John mentioned, our uh, big focus on like is on advanced red teaming. Uh, and on part of this, we have to deliver a client with a custom solution sometimes that's not necessarily available. So big part of my research is uh, finding new vulnerabilities, uh, but also developing uh, new techniques, uh, for example, to evade uh, detection, right? So we can implement it within our teams uh, where we can actually use inside engagements. Uh, it comes down from finding zero days uh, to finding just replicating bugs, uh, 
finding completely new techniques uh, for evasions that, that has not been discovered and uh, using them uh, as part of our uh, tools, creating these tools. Um, yeah, basically that's, that's about it. Johnny, uh, I'm sitting here thinking you, you mentioned that you were uh, a part of the military and you spent some time there and I'm sure unit 8200 is very exciting life and uh, <laughs> you probably can't talk too much about that uh, and what you did in there and that's, that's justifiable, but how much would you say that that helped prepare you for going into what you do now? I think uh, the military is a big part of who I am today. Uh, definitely shaped me as a person. Uh, it also gave me the opportunity to see, to see the world a little bit differently. Because uh, if you take a cybersecurity company that uh, work with uh, uh, civilians, like uh, the private sector, and you take the military, it's a completely different world. You're exposed to completely different things, right? So I think really helped me uh, to become who I am today and gave me uh, also specific knowledge that I couldn't acquire elsewhere. Uh, also, it showed me the perspective of how a real threat would look like uh, instead of something you simulate, right? So I think it has very uh, huge impact on my career and the way I, I look at things today. Well, I think that might uh, help us here in our next segment. Uh, we actually want to talk about uh, who got pwned, and, uh, and I think you guys will have some good insights. So let's get to that. Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. Yeah! All right, so our article we're talking about this week is from ZDNet.com, and the headline, Ransomware. Hackers took just three days to find this fake industrial network and fill it with malware. Researchers uh, set up a tempting honeypot to monitor how uh, cyber criminals would exploit it. Then it came under attack. So that's, that's amazing, though, that just <laughs> three days is, is all it took. Uh, how, did, how did they find it? Don, you want to start? Yeah. So, you know, we've heard stories like this for decades now. Like, the old story was Windows XP. If you take an unpatched Windows XP machine and give it a public IP address, it can't make it 24 hours without getting compromised. So in this case, they did something really neat, which built out a simulated industrial network, threw it on the internet, and it made it look convincing just to see what the hackers would do when they get in. Now, if you've brought up any kind of instance in like AWS or Azure, you are constantly getting scanned. You see it in your firewall logs if you have a firewall configured. Uh, but, you know, that, that traffic is just ongoing constantly, constantly. People are searching for well-known ports and other things. What I found interesting on this was they, they knew that they would get scanned. They knew they would get found. It was, what do the hackers do once they get in? And what they found was that many of the times they were, they were jumping in, doing privilege escalation, scanning the rest of the network, doing further reconnaissance, and implanting ransomware wherever they possibly could. Uh, and what they were showing was that it's not like the old days where the hackers might get in and try and do actual damage to shut down a power grid, or they might try and compromise credit card data. Now it's all about ransomware, which has a direct revenue stream. So it's kind of an interesting take on on the way attackers are, uh, are looking to damage networks now. So, uh, John, is this something, you know, when I think of a honeypot, I think of like on a network, a real network, there's somewhere where they're trying to get people to go to keep them out of the, the real stuff. Um, but I, I've never kind of seen it in, in this uh, scenario. Is this something that is common in the industry? Uh, I would say, yeah, uh, the, the advanced teams that are out there in companies um, that uh, are very numerous at this point that do incident response uh, actually are known to set up their own kind of temporary kind of networks that basically simulate a honeypot. 
And their main reason for doing it, just like uh, the article demonstrated, was to understand that the, the mindset of the attacker. What are they actually doing? What tools are they using? I think that you'll find that a lot of groups that are out there that are executing either um, if they're funded by nation states or if they're uh, motivated by financial uh, success, um, they still have uh, somewhat um, similar tool sets or mindsets for what they're what they're doing. And I think that, that that's kind of like a, a trend, just like anything else. And um, using these types of tactics in order to learn your adversary is kind of pretty common in the, in the industry. Um, and it's one of the things that actually informs the rest of the researchers who obviously go back and pull back in from various sources that are both public and, and private, to be honest and try to build out the arsenal for how we actually identify the threats, quarantine them, um, maybe not even necessarily on a real live engagement, turn off the plug right away uh, because they want to understand all the different ways that they're communicating through seats to, uh, to outbound data. Uh, and it, it's just one of those kind of cat and mouse games that usually requires a lot of um, tactile and, and very uh, delicate maneuvering on both parts. Would you, would you say you guys benefit from that information as well as being able to better uh, simulate those types of activities in doing red teaming? Yeah, I would say we, we do. Uh, you know, knowing how they tend to operate, it's, it is much like the cat and mouse game that I think has been remarked even on your podcast before. You know, you, you find a bug, you fix a bug, and, and that type of game cascades up and down the control stack, whether it's, you know, application hardware. Um, or all the way through to, to management of how you do security. And, uh, you know, the bad guys always try to stay one step ahead. And as the red team component of like the, the forward line of uh, recon for how well you defend your network, it's our job to make sure that we ingest those protocols and actually try to assess whether or not we can tangibly uh, put in some type of control gap uh, between what's uh, really relevant in the attack state uh, as, as the world sees it today um, and where you're currently sitting. So as you build up that maturity, you know, building in and ingesting a lot of that knowledge is very important. Now, Johnny, for you, I, I know you're researching a lot of this. You mentioned you're trying to identify new vulnerabilities to aid your customers. This seems like one technique you could use to see if there was a vulnerability the attackers used that you didn't know about. And so now you learn about it and, and you can kind of build protections around it. Uh, is that part of what you do or are you looking for vulnerabilities that even the attackers don't know about yet? So it's also part of what I do, but uh, I also look for uh, vulnerabilities that attackers don't necessarily know about, right? Because we can't really confirm if they do or not, but hopefully they don't. Uh, I do try to find vulnerabilities that they not necessarily know about and then implement it into these kind of networks. Is, is three days a well, I, to me, that sounded like incredibly quick, and that's why the headline caught me. But then when Don's talking about, you know, you can't put an XP box out there for more than 24 hours unpatched. I mean, is that a long time or is that kind of this is pretty standard? Uh, in critical infrastructure, it's. I would say it's uh, pretty fast uh, because the issue with critical infrastructure is it's very vulnerable and it's currently not looking the right way, right? Because IT is pretty developed by now. But if you look 20 years back, the state of IT, that's the current state of OT right now. Uh, it's mainly misunderstood. Uh, and most of the companies don't necessarily understand the risk and how to mitigate them. Uh, they are sometimes forced to use very old software, like you say in Windows XP, for example, that's very common in, uh, in OT environments. Not because they don't want to patch it, but because uh, it's not that easy to shut down a compo uh, OT component and replace it or uh, upgrade it. So they prefer to secure the perimeter 
but inside it's uh, there is a lot of issues that lies inside because of all software. Well, we ahead. don't we don't really know in this case like you know the the cyber reason team that set this up like they could have made it super vulnerable. I, they just mentioned that they had uh, RDP port thirty three eighty nine open. They had medium strength password. So, you know, it could be that this was a weaker network than what you'd find out there in, in other industrial systems. Well, what I love about this article too, is that, you know, we're, we're talking about who got pwned and in this case, it's the hackers. So for once we're, well, I don't know. Cause like the hackers, I guess we, they wasted their well, time. They wasted their time. Yeah. yeah you're, you're hacking fake stuff. And maybe gave away their secrets. You know, if they had some secret technique, then yeah. we're going to, we're going to have a follow-up article next week where like, the secret ransomware they implanted actually infected all the other networks. <laughs> Who got pwned? Like, Us, because they got mad. Yeah, yeah they're like, that. uh-oh, Billy. All right, <laughs> dead man switch. Let's do it. Oh, well. Okay, and we deserve it. I don't know why Billy's always the, the go-to for <laughs> that's that. That's your hacker name? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's uh, there's old Billy on. Hacker. Uh, hey, John, so uh, so what do you guys got going on right now? I know you know a lot of things are changing um, with COVID, but you, you mentioned earlier, um, when, before we started, you were talking to me about some, some new training you guys are working on. Yeah, uh, so we not only do red teams, we not only do uh, active assessments, but we also uh, try to really take that information again back, not only to improve our arsenal for how we help people secure their perimeters, but also we, we'd like to train the next set of um, people who want to learn to do what we do. Uh, it's not only good because we get to kind of a, a, fil a, a filtration point for the good talent in the industry, but we also uh, think that there's going to be a lot, there's going to need to be a lot more of us to actually combat the amount of risk that's out there. Um, so we've currently, um, and our partner with hackthebox.eu, uh, in order to kind of build out and help them uh, build a more com uh, consistent, compliant, uh, relevant, however you want to frame it, um, certification program for how people can go forward and actually call themselves, uh, you know, a white hat hacker. Um, so basically taking and always having a feeder system from the real world tangible environment that we see every day on the engagements that we work for um, and, and then feed it into the knowledge uh, of the uh, training environment that Hackbox provides and, and give people kind of uh, that view of it so that they can be relevant once they come out of the course. So that's one of the big things that we're working on now uh, to hopefully address some of the the, the the latent uh, ability in the industry for people to be actually uh, executable or, or usable on, on site when they, when they come on and try to, you know, join a cybersecurity firm. Of course, there's always going to be a, uh, a gap there between the knowledge that has to exist for running an engagement versus, you know, someone who's just starting out. Uh, but of course, I think that that's just a, a mechanism or, or something that can be uh, couched underneath uh, better training, which is what we're really trying to do. And so that's, that's one thing we're working on. And I know uh, Daniel mentioned too, coming back from um, from B sides that you guys were talking about a uh, a new product, but uh, you guys have delayed that now uh, with COVID. We did. Um, it was mainly because we wanted to be able to release it to the to the security world at Black Hat. Um, but um, Daniel did see uh, that it was uh, something we've been working on. We actually used it in the teams today. It's one of those things that um, you know, it, its name is Arboreal, but and that's basically a, a bat of the forest. Uh, the forest being Active Directory. It's one of the, the key things that we look for in most uh, commercial and uh, corporate environments. You have Active Directory, and it's one of the, the key things that falls down, or is the um, the, the the kingdom for the keys. 
Um, so what we like to do uh, with Arboreal actually is make sure that we can show you, if, even if you have the top line defenses that you think uh, you're implementing to secure your network, that those um, aren't necessarily something that's going to stop a really motivated adversary, uh, especially the ones that are, um, you know, breaking into very robust networks and still getting in and, and doing what they want. Um, so what do you do then? And that, that's kind of our story that we tell the clients is like, it's one thing to go through uh, a perceived uh, simulation for what you think is secure, but then there's also something about uh, the backdrop of uh, security or wrapping yourself in the onion of security. So if one thing goes down, if you're just relying upon one control, what do you do after that? Do you have robust monitoring? Do you have robust auditing? You know, things that kind of are more fundamental, um, but uh, to be honest, a lot of companies are, you know, tend to rely on a security product as opposed to the fundamentals. And that's what we try to demonstrate to them when we come on board and use some of these tools is to just show you that they're still way in and that those fundamentals are very important to try to implement as, as effectively as you can. Definitely. Well, you can check that out at uh, arborreal, A-R-B-O-R-E-A-L dot I-O. Uh, and that's going to have some information about when that is coming out um, as that updates. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that and and definitely check out Vartai at vartaisecurity.com. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, thank you, John, so much for taking the time with us today. Thank you, gentlemen. Very much appreciate the time. And um, yeah, anytime you guys want or have a question, reach out to us. And Johnny, thank you as well for uh, taking time out of your schedule. Thank you very much, guys. All right. Well, we'll talk to you guys hopefully again in the future. Maybe when that product comes out, we can get you guys back on and and uh, and see it in action. But uh, for now, we're going to take a quick break, but we're going to be right back after this with more TechNATO with Ron Pazette. See you guys. My name is Dana Morrison. I'm the IT director at Grace Christian School in Raleigh, North Carolina. I work with two technicians, Buddha and Anthony. We cover all grades at the school. We figure that we support approximately 800 end-user devices. My name is Buddha Nepal. I work as IT support here and AV specialist. I moved into IT department and and, and our first meeting, other team members asked me, hey, what's your IT background? And I was like, I don't have any. We have this SharePoint project that we're rolling out. So I was able to go to IT Pro TV and um, watch and by the end of this month we were actually migrating all our files to SharePoint. I can use IT Pro TV's uh, supervisor portal to check the progress of my technicians so I can see what they're looking at. So when we were doing SharePoint training I can go in and I can see that Buddha is hitting on that content. I really want to see hands-on how they do things and if there was an IT Pro TV, I don't know how I would have done that. IT Pro TV has given us the ability to level up our technicians to a point where they can decide this is important for me to learn and go out and learn. At home, I have Apple TV and there is an app there and so I actually watch on Apple TV. I, I watch it in my iPad too. Saturday mornings, I still get up early. 6.30, I go grab a cup of coffee, I sit down on the couch, and I typically watch two or three episodes uh, as I just kind of increase my own learning skill set. I would recommend IT Pro TV uh, to any IT team that is looking to extend their knowledge. Uh, it offers a great, easy to access, interactive, entertaining uh, environment. It's just a great tool uh, for any IT professional. All right, welcome back to TechNATO with Don Pizzette, and thank you to John and Johnny uh, for 
enlightening us all about uh, their products and, and helping us dissect that fun honeypot there. Uh, but we do have a lot of news to get to, so let's go ahead and jump in with our first article over at ArsTechnica.com. Apple plans to announce ARM transition for all Macs at the Worldwide Developer Conference 2020. Report claims internal Apple testing has seen a sizable improvement over Intel. And, and I guess this seems kind of like a logical move because Apple has uh, historically kind of tried to control all parts of the supply chain that they can, and, and relying on, on Intel is kind of one of the, the big glaring ones out there uh, that, that still exists. You know, there, there's a couple of different things going on with this story, and I'm really just curious to see what's going to happen. Uh, WWDC is coming up on the 22nd, I believe, so just a handful of days away. And this announcement, it's it's kind of been shadowed for the last few months. People kind of knew it was going to happen, uh, or foreshadowed, I guess is what I was trying to say. Uh, but I'm still a little bit surprised by it, and, and there's a few reasons for this. Like, back, back in... I don't remember when, it was like 1999, when Apple switched from PowerPC processors over to Intel's. That was a big deal. That was a big architecture change for it, but they kind of had some reasons for it, and the Intel processors performed really well. Uh, and when they made that switch, they went through a lot of headaches and things. The next couple of years were kind of rough for Apple as they, they jumped from one platform to another. Well, here, they're talking about moving from Intel to ARM-based processors, which is a significant jump. We've seen Microsoft try that twice now with different Surface tablets that ran ARM processors. They both sucked, and <laughs> I've not seen widespread adoption. Um, that was what, the RT? Yeah, RT originally, and now they're doing it with the Surface X. Okay. By the way, Don, that switch was in 2006, according to this article. Oh, well, maybe if I had made it a little further down in the well, article. Well, the only <laughs> reason I bring that up is because this was a long article, and they basically gave you a history of Apple's platform and architecture and what they've been using for processors. And it wasn't until chapter like four halfway through yeah. that they say, here are the benefits of going to ARM architecture, which are actually pretty cool. Well, you know, I'm curious. So when they made the switch last time, which I guess was in 2006, uh, they released an emulation layer where you were on an Intel processor, but you could still run the PowerPC compiled apps and uh, you have various names for it, and uh, uh, and it, it worked okay. It, it wasn't great, but it worked okay, so you could kind of make that transition. But Apple went hardline. They said, that's it. We're not manufacturing any more PowerPC devices. Now it's all Intel. So I'm curious if they do that this time. If they say, that's it. Starting this year in August, every Mac will have an ARM processor. Because the ARM processors aren't strong enough to emulate Intel-based code. They can they can emulate 32-bit code, but not 64-bit, which is what most Intel apps are being written in now. Uh, you know, Apple just forced all the developers to go 64-bit with macOS apps, and ARM can't emulate that. So if they go hardline this time, there is no emulation. Like, all the apps have to be rewritten. They might as well just do the iPad OS on the laptop at that point, and at least then you get all the iPad apps. So I, this seems like a disaster waiting to happen, but I can't imagine Apple would willingly throw themselves into a giant disaster like that. So I'm I'm super curious to see how this ends up. That, that's your but, problem, Don. You don't have vision. <laughs> <laughs> or a turtleneck. Picture. Uh, apparently. Uh, so you need a turtleneck. I, I think I had a, a different view on this. I was thinking since they already had iPad, iPhone, all of those devices, correct me if I'm wrong, those are ARM architecture uh, CPUs, right? Yeah, it's uh, Apple's version of it, but it's ARM compliant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm wondering because like Xcode and them already have all those build capabilities, that it's just going to be an Xcode update and then boom, you just recompile and it goes into the App Store because they try to push everybody into the Apple App Store even for 
um, you know, like the, the, the laptops and stuff. So maybe they're, they're trying to push that way, but I don't know, maybe. I don't. Now, now, Justin, you're a developer, like cross-compiling for different architectures. Have you done that? I have. And um, was it easy? Depends <laughs> on the language. <laughs> so I know the, the tool set for Xcode uh, and Apple is really great for the iOS experience, other than the fact that Swift changes every four days. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're on Swift 4, Swift, uh, whatever. Anyway. Uh, like Go and Rust have pretty good cross-compilation stories, but if you have to compile C, uh, yeah, where it has direct you, memory access yeah, and stuff, cross your fingers. <laughs> I, I feel like there was a spaceballs joke in there. Like, wait, up next our review of Swift Five Thousand. <laughs> <laughs> do you, Do you think any of this has to do with like continued fallout from Spectre and, and meltdown of just you know Apple saying, hey, we need to bring this this stuff? I think it's battery driven, honestly. Mm. I think mm. because all of the like the ARM architecture is really low power use, right, Don? Uh, it, it is, although supposedly Intel processors can be low power use too if you don't push them as hard. You know, ARM processors are slower. So that's partly why they're more power efficient. But uh, battery life certainly is a concern. There is another theory they have in the article about how uh, there's other processors that are a part of, when you buy an Apple laptop, it's a, an Intel processor, but it's not a standard Intel motherboards. So they have things like their T2 security chip and things like that that are built in that on the iPhone and on the iPad, that's hardware they've already got as part of that processor there. A4, A8, A10, whatever processors are on right now. So if they switch to ARM and designing their own CPU, they can bake all that functionality into it and have a more powerful experience, reducing the amount of hardware you need, which will also make it more power efficient. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on that and uh, be def definitely interesting to see how they roll that out. Uh, but let's head over now for our next article from Tom'sHardware.com. AMD Ryzen-powered Hackintosh system appears to violate Apple's uh, end-user license agreement. Uh, guess what? You can only pay through Bitcoin. It, oh, that, that it doesn't appear. Scam. I'm pretty sure this is a direct violation of the end user licensing agreement, right? <laughs> the word Hackintosh right, uh -huh. right in there. That, so you know, what are we violating here? So uh, have any of you guys built a Hackintosh before? Uh, I thought about it, and then I, I started down that hole, and they were like, oh, don't update because it'll break. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, I'm good. I've done it. Um, I, I've done it once on purpose, uh, and I've done it on accident before, where you you just end up with hardware that happens to be compatible. Oh, I was like, how do you do this <laughs> on accident? Whoops. Don's also like, I made meth on accident. Yeah. Once, <laughs> hey, it's weird. I know, was sleepwalking and I and I made a hack and tash. The recipe for macaroni is just very easy to mistake <laughs> with with meth. Yeah. Uh, so. So, you know, to build a Hackintosh is really not that hard because they, they use Intel processors, they use AMD graphics cards, they use standard hardware, right? So if you build it outright and make a few modifications, you know, simple things in the BIOS, you can effectively build a Mac. So you can install Mac OS and do it. And you can usually do it for about half the price of an actual Mac. So uh, some pretty big savings there. Well... The thing is, it's it's not legal, right? Or at least for the Mac OS side. Mac OS is only licensed to run on Mac hardware. You can't go to the store and just buy Mac OS by itself. So when I first read this, I thought, well, here's a company that's just selling a compatible computer. But no, they're actually shipping it with Mac OS already installed on it, which is absolutely illegal. Uh, there was a period of time back in the 1990s where Apple used to license out Mac OS. And so you had a couple of companies that were selling 
Macs that were not made by Apple. You know, they manufactured them themselves. I'm, I can't remember the names of the companies. They're all out of business now. Uh, but they don't allow that anymore. They haven't in over a decade. So this is a company that's really kind of pushing the limits. And I was surprised that they're building it around an AMD Ryzen CPU. Uh, since all Macs right now use Intel CPUs, running an AMD seems like they'd have some compatibility issues. But there have been rumors that Apple was going to release a MacBook with an AMD processor. I think they even announced one, but it hasn't been on sale yet. So apparently they're able to take advantage of that to release a low price, highly illegal computer. <laughs> and it's important to note here, the company... Uh is called uh, OpenCore, but it is not affiliated with OpenCore, the bootloader software. So it, it, they're just using that name to try to build off of that as well. Yeah, try to get some trust. Yeah, yeah. so we're, you know, they're, they're, like the red flags are everywhere. You're yeah, like, absolutely. And only pay in Bitcoin. I bought uh, two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just in case they rip me off on the first one, yeah. I'll get the second yeah. one. Yeah, they, yeah. they ain't going to do it twice. And you know what? Since I have all that Bitcoin mining ransomware everywhere, <laughs> it's fine. I didn't even really buy it. Yeah, so it's like a free computer. Technically, I'm not breaking the law buying that if I bought it with stolen money, right? <laughs> sure. It's, it, right. It's that double negative. It yeah. It See? Out. Yeah, get you every time. And they require a 30% deposit, so you can just write that off right away. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. not coming back. Uh, but again, also, not your can, money. Can you go ahead and send it in Target gift cards? That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have to send Apple gift cards yeah. to get your... Well, so Apple's it, winning in the it, long run. In the article, it says it ships both with uh, Mac OS and with Windows. Do you think there's a legal <laughs> standpoint to like, well, technically it's Windows and we just happen to have Apple on there. Yeah. Well, we were talking yeah. last week <laughs> about like fair use and, and satire. So maybe it's just it, it's satire. Satire, right. Yeah. And that's how they can get around... <laughs> I think that's how. I'm a, you know, it's like when I hacked their web application and I had a bunch of these shipped to my house and I resold them for a bunch of money. Yeah. yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. Satirically. Yeah. yeah. Satiric. It was for a joke. I got a laser etcher and etched an apple on it and I was like, <laughs> it's compliant, baby. So it turns out that crime is okay as long as you laugh while you're doing it. Exactly. <laughs> All the way to the bank. You know, that's not the takeaway I had, Don, but since you brought it up, I'm going to go ahead and go with it. Yeah, Don said it was okay. That's what I'll tell the judge. Time to get to stabbing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I always laugh when I'm stabbing. Uh, stabby laughing. Uh, all right, we should we should move on, uh, I feel like. We should. For many reasons. Uh, all right, let's head over to bleepingcomputer.com for our next article. Microsoft's Windows 10 Insider program is being overhauled. And I know, Daniel, you're especially excited about oh, this, right? Oh, man. Uh, by Grapthar's hammer. I can't. <laughs> what a savings. Yeah. Or what a value. What a, what a savings. Oh, I had it right. Okay. Yeah, you got it right. <laughs> I'm glad you got that. Thank you, by the way. Validated my whole life right here. <laughs> <laughs> it's important. Like I didn't make that up, right? For our listeners out there, you know, uh, when we make a joke, if, it, if just one person gets it's, the joke, that, that's a win. It. It's a yeah. big victory. <laughs> so, so uh, Microsoft's Insider program, right? If you want to try out the latest and greatest bleeding edge features from Microsoft's development team, you have been able to join the Insider program for years now to be able to participate in that. You can also set the level of risk you're willing to take uh, because they had rings inside of the program. So if you were in the fast ring, you got the cutting edge, which could sometimes be unstable. There was the slow ring, which was stuff that was almost ready to be released. And then there was the release preview ring, which is the stuff that's been fully tested and clear.
cleared and is just waiting for the next window uh, for updates to roll out. So you can kind of pick your entry in there and, and jump in. Microsoft is making a big change right now to align that with their Office Insider program, which is a little bit different. So what they're doing is they're renaming some of those rings. The, uh, the fast ring is now going to be known as the dev channel. The slow ring is going to be the beta channel. And then the release preview channel, uh, release preview ring is going to be the release preview channel. So instead of rings, they're now channels. And they have different names that are a little bit better uh, as far as acknowledging who should be running them. Like the fast ring is really designed for developers that you need to be getting your app ready to support these new changes. And that way your app's not getting constantly broken every time Windows updates roll out. Uh, beta channel, that's a little more for IT professionals who want to make sure their company is ready. And then release preview, that's really for people who just want to see the latest and greatest and be the first to have it. It's funny that you say that, Dan, because I would not opt into the dev channel. Yeah. Mainly because I can just be like, and then I'm going to turn, well, look at that. That is broke. <laughs> I am going to have to spend the next hour and a half trying to figure out why I can't get on the internet. Well, you know, what, what uh, a normal developer, which obviously you aren't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because I could kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> so, you know, you'd have your build machine, and obviously you'd, you'd want that to be stable because you need to be able to write code and develop and so on. But your testing machines, which might be a virtual machine, that's what you'd want to opt in. So you you build your application, you copy it over into this fast ring or, or now dev channel, and you see the application is broken. And now you know you've got to fix something because otherwise when that update rolls out, your customers are going to see it. So that, that's the idea. It's not right for everybody. I, I'm not in any of those rings. I, I need a stable computer, so I'm not, I'm not even in the done. release preview. It's channels now. Channel, whatever. Right. <laughs> also, we all know developers go, it works on my machine, ship it. <laughs> so Matter of fact, I got stickers for him. Like, Man, you can't, it. you can't beat that logic. <laughs> no, no. Somebody calls me and be like, "Well, it worked when I tried it, so yeah. you're wrong." Sounds like it's a computer issue. <laughs> yeah. Fix. Is it PebCamp or PebCamp? Yeah. yeah, yeah. There you go. All right. Well, There's I think that. you said Good it all, Don. I, mean, I think you said it. All. <laughs> <laughs> Peter was really hoping to give a shit. <laughs> it just didn't happen. Yeah. Just didn't hit it this time. <laughs> no, I'm like, so how does this affect me? It doesn't because I'm yeah. on a Mac. So. <laughs> and he doesn't even run updates there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how this thing works. <laughs> He's like, updates now, nah, delay. <laughs> I'm going to wait till them ARM processors come out That's and I'm going right. to upgrade then. Well, I take a. Uh, a version of Justin's logic. This works for me now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, works for that ransomware too. I heard when you update stuff, you know, your monitor doesn't work all of a sudden, or this this program no longer works. So that does happen. It works now because the developers of those drivers weren't in the faster ring. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it worked on their machine. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Seemed yeah. to work fine. Uh, all right, I, I just want to get to this next article. That's all. All it really is. Uh, all right, this one is from news.slash.dot.org. Six former eBay employees, former being the operative word there, uh, charged in federal cyberstalking case targeting a Natick couple. I guess Natick is a place. I yeah, think. so, you but know, when I read this headline, um, 
I felt like you often do, Peter, because it didn't make any damn sense whatsoever. <laughs> yes, that is my whole life. These are a jumble of words that are put into a headline. That's amazing. And uh, for, you know, at first we were like six former eBay employees. All right, well, what do I care where they worked at in the past? But they actually committed this crime while they worked at eBay. Uh, cyber stalking. Were they stalking each other? That doesn't make any sense. And then Natick. I didn't know what that was, so I had to learn. Uh, Natick is apparently a place, a suburb outside of Boston, I believe. Oh yes. And uh, and so there's a couple that live there. And apparently they had a bad experience with eBay. So they created a blog journal website that talked about how eBay was not a good company. And eBay actually has a department. What was the name of that department? Um, they have a department on... Department of Harassment? Department of Assholes. <laughs> I mean, these guys were bad. Yeah, they were. Let, let's talk about some of the stuff that these guys... Wait, what, this, you said there's a department. This wasn't officially sanctioned. Stuff or did they tell these guys, hey? No. Go. So I think this counts as officially sanctioned, right? Because oh my God. So they had this department. I'm trying to find the name of the department. It's like the product intelligence or something. So it had intelligence in the name, right? Yeah. And so these were employees at eBay that were tasked with preserving the product's brand on the internet. So they're supposed to be looking for anything out there where people are attacking eBay or they found an exploit or whatever, so they can secure the product and eBay. Whether you like them or hate them, they have a great security track record, and so does PayPal. Like They've really focused on security longer than most companies. So that's where I was really surprised in this article, because it turns out their group, it was like six employees and, and possibly more to come, including executives that were calling this, entered into a harassment campaign against these two people to try and get them to stop saying that eBay wasn't the greatest company on the planet. So with that backdrop... Now, Peter, you can lash into some of the things that they did, which is pretty amazing. Right, so it's psychological warfare. So, <laughs> uh, so it started. Uh, two two executives texted each other, and they have the text, and it says, "We are going to crush this lady," <laughs> and and they did. So, um, some of the things they did, they sent uh, they sent live spiders. Uh, they sent um, other insects, larva. larva. Yeah, larva like as maggots, well. I'm guessing. Uh, th- these are the couple I like. They they sent uh, porn. Addressed to them in their name, but to their neighbors' addresses, so the neighbors <laughs> would think, "Oh, that you accidentally sent your porn here." Which is creative. <laughs> real, real quick, it was it normal porn, like, I can't like acceptable, it was. or was it like bestiality yeah. porn? Yeah, I assume like. so. Yeah, it's got to be weird stuff. I mean, uh, and then what do you do as that as the person? I mean, do you kind of like just own it and be like, "I believe you have my pornography." <laughs> Yeah. That is the, I'm going to need that. It's the exact thing that, that someone would say, even if they had ordered that porn. Yeah. Of, I don't believe, believe that. You awesome. might learn a lot about your neighbors, though, if they're like, man, I got your bestiality porn, and uh, you got a great now, Hang on. I, sir. I, you know? I, I don't want to deviate too far from the article. Yeah, because we got to get to the next deviate. one. But you said, is it is it pronounced bestiality? I like don't it's think so. the best? I thought it was bestiality. So there's no A in it. Yeah, it's not beast. It's B S T. I don't but there's think there's no I like a how you know B. that off the top of your head. <laughs> yeah, I know a bunch of random stuff. All right, well anyhow, Not that I, I got weird neighbors. The things they did Keep to these their people. Porn to my house. Well, and the best the best one is they they uh, put Craigslist ads for swingers, and they said come over to our house, gave the address, but come over after ten. So you know these people are getting ready for bed, and all of a sudden you got you know people in bathrobes with mustaches knocking on their door. Do you remember <laughs> the movie, the beginning of the movie, Old School? Old School. That's exactly <laughs> yes. what I I'm thought. Here for the game, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> And real quick, I just want to clarify on, on 
for Tech Nano, when we say the best of, this is all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this is all bad. Like, don't hand bags of spiders to people again. Yeah. They said it was the best. No, it's it's just, the best. it is yeah. the most preposterous as far as the best. I yeah. just realized what Justin did to me. He made me type in to a Google search, bestiality. <laughs> because I'm like, oh, it is. Holy crap. <laughs> Whoa. Huh. Uh, Nate, Nate, Nate is getting a text message <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah, they're, oh, they're at the window. They're not. Sophos is going off. <laughs> yeah. huh. No, I haven't clicked on any of the links yet, but, but, right. but in can't a more wait. serious note, like I'm trying to imagine what kind of culture within this product team Right. Says, this is a good thing. Like, we're not, like, nothing bad's going to happen. This isn't going to fall back on, because if you're really worried about brand. Um, like, did know, they feel they, justified in this? Like, like, yeah, they may be giving you crap, but now this has come out that you, as a company, or at least, at least a subset of a company, has went out and tried to ruin people's lives on purpose. You know, you hear every now and then about a rogue employee, like rogue Facebook employee digs through ex-girlfriend's data, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. It's, it's a rogue employee. But here, you can't say that because this is a department. You know, the, the, the whole department basically was active in this role. And there's, there's men and women. Uh, I think the lead executive was a former police captain. Like, these are... These are people where it was, they know how to mess with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, uh, the, there were very threatening things too. That like uh, they they sent things like oh, funeral a funeral wreath <laughs> and books on surviving the loss of a spouse uh, to the home. And Holy crap. Um, what was the thing? It was uh, a bloody pig mask as well. And so it, it makes me wonder: Are these all things they bought on eBay? I think they got it from Amazon. <laughs> if you get a bloody mask, does it matter whether it, like it's a, of a pig or anything, or did, can it just be bloody? Creepy. Well, I don't, I don't know if that means like was it the face off of a pig. Like... So, so that, that's what I'm asking. Like, is it or is the it face mask, of a pig, like, like in Saw? Yeah. Or is it a, like just a regular mask with pig's blood on it, or with like paint on it? Like, like was painted, it like is this yeah. a, a toy, yeah. or right. is this you like know, you'd have picked real. up at a Halloween shop or something? Yeah, because that 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 really changes. like that really matters if you get that in the mail. <laughs> yeah. After all these other things, you get a bag of spiders, and you're like, well, you know, is it pig's blood or I don't know? Question. <laughs> you, you have that awkward moment out there when your neighbors are you're getting your mail and they're pulling out your bestiality porn, and you got a bloody pig mask. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that's yeah, mine. Uh, because of this. okay. Here you we get go another again. Bill. Sicko. Oh, I well, tell you, I don't know anything about it. Uh, <laughs> What's disappointing is they don't link to their um, their newsletter in here because I'd really like to start reading their blog now, mm. and this would be great uh, publicity so, for well, this couple. How do, how do you think they're going to play this, like as far as eBay? Like, how are we going to make this go away? I think they won, right? Oh, you mean how is eBay going to play? Yeah, it? yeah. The uh, other people, I think it's going to help their newsletter. Yeah, yeah. It kind of kind of supports what they were already saying eBay just has to brand it as a rogue executive that handpicked his or her own staff. And, yeah, you know, that's why you have former eBay employees. And they have to be publicly executed. Yeah. <laughs> With a I'm big, joking. Big mask. I am kidding. I see the pain in Don's face. He's like, no, 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 no. You can't call for public execution. You know, yeah. Again. Sadly, I was thinking what was going through my mind was all right so how could they do an auction for that to be able to <laughs> you get a 10 percent listing fee you know, so it's like a like a pinata like you like you pay a certain amount for you know a certain number of there's a buy it now price strikes and then you find out like you get a good deal like oh i paid 100 bucks i get to execute these people but up oh, the shipping damn it i forgot to look it's that processing and handling that'll get yeah. you every they time they ship the people to you that's how they get you oh yeah, yeah. 
Well, that's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> if, if not we for can, those natic individuals. Uh, yeah, but you know they they're going to get a lot of money. The I'm moral guessing. of the story is that the large IT companies can be evil entities, absolutely. So well, they're made up uh, of people, yeah. and, and yeah. people are inherently evil, yeah, are inherently corruptible, <laughs> as we've else. learned. But uh, I'm going to find I'm going to find their newsletter, and we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> that next week because I'd, I'd love to see some of the stuff that, you know, I'd like to see how their psyche went uh, during. <laughs> During the articles, read them over the last five years or so. All right, our next article is from securityboulevard.com. Uh, yeah, Zoom. Is Zoom the next Huawei? The puppet of the Chinese, says critics. Um, Zoom is a U.S. company, though, right? Is it, oh, it's NASDAQ listed. But Zoom is a U.S. company, uh, but it's confusing because they uh, something like 30% of their employees are in China, mm. and their CEO uh, was born in China, yeah. but he's a U.S. citizen now. So it is a U.S. company but with, with heavy ties to China. So is it the next Huawei, Don? I don't think they're making cell phones, so I'm going to say no on that <laughs> okay. one. But, uh, but then. The, next, next story. <laughs> but the concern is... People are saying that China has a heavy influence over Zoom for various reasons, even though they're not Chinese, because 30% of the employees, and the article even mentions like the CEO's parents, they're all in China, that they have some undue influence. And people have worried about it, but this most recent one was that three paid Zoom users had their accounts canceled because they were about to put on an event uh, recognizing the uh, Tiananmen Square incident. And the Chinese government contacted Zoom and had Zoom cancel those or ban those accounts. So, you know, now people are saying, well, Zoom's going to do whatever the Chinese state tells them to do. So that that's kind of what a puppet does, I guess. I, I, I My favorite part of the article was uh, they were down here and they were talking about some, several prominent critics of the Chinese government, including protest leaders in Hong Kong and pro-democracy activists uh, in the United States have accused Zoom of shutting their accounts in several live events Um in recent weeks under pressure from Beijing. And as you, as you get down through here, it says that, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Um, question, how did Zoom know what was being discussed? Does Zoom retain a recording of everything said in meetings on yeah. the server? That, that, that was the big security issue. For that me. was the thing that stuck out to me as well. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, Zoom does have a record feature. If you're the meeting host, you can record it, and it is stored on Zoom servers. They do not have end-to-end -end encryption on uh, free public accounts. They do have end-to-end -end encryption, I believe, on paid accounts. Um, so I don't know if that was used here. If end-to-end -end encryption was used on these paid accounts and they knew it was being discussed in it, that would either mean that uh, Chinese intelligence officials were in the meeting or Zoom holds the keys to be able to unlock that encryption. So um, all big concerns that we have with how companies handle our data. If, See you guys on the Zoom meeting tomorrow. <laughs> if, if this is a, Zoom meeting tonight. This is the United, <laughs> United States. Like this is a, It's housed in the United States, but we've established the connections. Is there an expectation of privacy? Like if, I'm, if Don and I are having a Zoom meeting and we're talking about private information, it, does it have to be spelled out in the licensing agreement if I'm paying for that, that they may have recordings of that or they may um, like observe that? Or like how, how does that work? So it has to be spelled out if they're promising you privacy. It doesn't have to be spelled out if they're not giving you privacy. So, you know, it, it's kind of like when you select a service, if, if having privacy is a concern for you, you actually have to hunt for a service that promises that in their end user license agreement that, uh, you know, hey, we will provide encryption with customer provided keys and you're able to secure that end to end. To my knowledge, none of the, the big video conferencing companies provide that in any real form. 
by the way, opting into security thing again. That, <laughs> like, why, why do I have to go out of my way to, to be, I don't know. Sorry. And, and I'm just kind of getting sad. This well, podcast is now banned in China yeah. as a result of us discussing this. Uh, yeah. It wasn't banned for the previous discussion? Yeah. No, it's cool. No, they're fine with that. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you mentioned the T-square incident. <laughs> yeah, they, I was in art class with that T-square. The Chinese government yeah, was taking square. notes on the last things we were saying. Oh, yeah, funeral wreaths. That's good. Yeah. Big mask. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah I could do that. <laughs> Bag yeah. of spiders. Got it. Now we're banned. Now, uh, you know, a lot of people are talking. It's not that hard to set up a WebRTC server. Uh, to be able to do your own conferencing and control the entire infrastructure around it. Most people don't do that because it's super easy to use Zoom or Teams or whatever, but more and more people are starting to look into that. And we're seeing some open source projects pop up that are basically uh, uh, turnkey solutions for setting up your own conferencing server. I mean, if the gaming and if all those like people that do gaming can set up servers like that, I'm sure people will figure it out. Yeah. Is this? Can I get out of our our morning meeting now that we do on Zoom by saying I don't want? Yeah, because he has all kinds of like anti-China propaganda <laughs> all the time. Human rights violations. Yeah. <laughs> you can just skip the meeting and watch it later on the Chinese national site. Yeah, <laughs> he's got a VPN. Yeah, he's like, I like all my web traffic filtered. Big <laughs> <laughs> red firewall. It's just a beep. It's just yeah, just everything Don says is beeped out. There you go. That sounds right. All right. Well, so. Nothing we can do about that. Is what it is. <laughs> it's what it is. All right. Oh man, I'm glad we ended on a high note. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We should have should ended with the eBay. Yeah, yeah. Thing. I it mean, it's fun. not good for those people, but no, that's horrible. Man, bloody pig masks. Yeah. Uh, hey guys. Uh, <laughs> speaking of speaking of awesome times. Uh, if if you like getting spiders delivered to your door, then you're gonna love this upcoming webinar with Anthony Sequera about what IT certifications are right for you. It's on Thursday, June 18th, the day that this podcast comes out. So uh, stop, hit pause, go watch that, and then come back and finish this later. Even though there's like five minutes left in the podcast now, um, but that is uh, about finding the right certifications for your career goals. Uh, you can sign up for it over at itpro.tv/webinars uh, and check that one out. You can also see all the past webinars that we have done. And uh, and view those on demand as well. So check that out over at itpro.tv/webinars. And while you're there, head over to go.itpro.tv/technado. You can get a 30% off coupon code for the lifetime of your membership to ITPro TV. You can also request a demo uh, for a Teams trial and uh, and see all the cool features that are available to businesses through the Pro Portal and all that good stuff uh, on ITPro TV. That's at go.itpro.tv. Slash Technado, and uh, yeah, be sure to subscribe, uh, leave us a, a review, tell us the uh, the worst things that you've been sent by eBay's employees, um, anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> I once oh, bought a it, uh, I bought a Steve Eiserman uh, little statue, mm -hmm. and uh, he's a hockey player, and they sent me a Budweiser hat. Like in addition? No, oh, instead. instead. That's yeah. going to say it was like a Ferengi thing That's where you the... actually got like a, a sliver of him in a... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The desiccated remains. Yeah. Vacuum <laughs> <Thank> sealed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the worst thing I've gotten, a Budweiser hat. Yeah, I mean, the worst thing I've got. I got a bunch of like, uh, like back before PayPal was very prominent and stuff when I was younger, you get fake money orders all the time. Like people would just be like, yeah, here you go. So it was... You buy money orders? Oh, yeah. you were selling stuff. Yeah, I was selling things. And people were like, here's a money order. I'm like, okay. That's and, weird. Yeah. Huh. I can't, I don't think I've ever been paid or paid for something in a money order. 
You guys well, apparently you don't again? come from poor country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Peter's not poor and doesn't know what poor people Did do. you grow up with meat on the table and not just like broth? <laughs> yeah. my, my mother was a vegetarian. Oh, yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. Which is even worse. Than, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we had soy. Uh, so, <laughs> hey, real thing. quick, that begs a question. Are there poor vegetarians? How would you know? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, yeah, I assume so. <laughs> Well, Peter's not one of them. There are rotten vegetables. They're poor in iron in their blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look for the anemic. And enjoyment in their lives. Anyway, let's yeah, go get some bacon. It's delicious. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next week uh, right here on Technado with Don Bye-bye.